Hello, welcome to Off Curve. I am Wicked Good, and I am talking to you about Hearthstone as I drive home from work. It is Thursday, the 1st of November, 2018, BlizzCon Eve. I am not there, and I am very sad about it, if I'm being honest. Um, I did record the, um, the Calm Before the Storm pod before the con panel on Sunday night. I was very grateful to row for including me in that because that's about the only way that I get to participate this year, unfortunately. And I'm seeing all my, all the pictures of all my friends out there and I am not there eating in and out with a ridiculous hat. It makes me sad, but you know, I've, I've asked Andrew from happy Hearthstone to vicariously give hugs to people on my behalf. So, um, I, you know, if, if he gives you a hug, you may get an extra one for me, but you're probably not hearing this if you're at BlizzCon anyway, and, you know, that's tomorrow, and, and next week I'll have some, so this is, this is, if you're new to the show, this is kind of how the next few weeks are going to go, that, um, I do not do card reviews on Off Curve, because I, um, go over to the Happy Hearthstone, and as part of his patron, Patreon, drive. Uh, we do the card reviews over there and, um, there are some additional perks that, that happen, um, as a result of that. So, um, if you're not subscribed to the happy Hearthstone, you should be, uh, anyway, because it's a fantastic show. And I don't say that just because I dominate two episodes every four months, but, um, we do a very thorough card review over there where we go through every card in detail and try to figure out how good it's going to be in constructed and, and, and by good, I mean usable in decks as opposed to, you know, powerful. So, and also in arena. So, and, and that's actually what we're going to talk about today because as we're getting a new expansion announcement tomorrow, unless something goes drastically, drastically wrong, um, it seems like as good of a time as any to review those uh, predictions that I did for Boomsday and uh, look at the ones that I got right and the ones I got wrong and why so that we can all kind of try to get better at reviewing the cards. So that is what we're going to do today. I actually am driving all the way home from the office, so we have a little bit longer together in case this goes a little bit longer. So, and and boy, did I get a bunch of stuff wrong. And, and it's funny because I always look at, I look at the spreadsheet and I see some of the things that I wrote at that, that poor, naive, three months ago Steve wrote down upon seeing these cards and you know, obviously I've looked, I can look at it and understand better why I said the things that I did, but in any event, that's, you know, we're going to talk about that so that we can all try to get better at doing that. But that, that's in a couple of minutes, we have to talk about ladder, unfortunately. Um, I did peak at rank one. I did not make it to legend. I'm okay with that. I did start at rank five this month and that's okay. I kind of like, I've realized that all the casting that I'm doing while I love it and I, I, love that I'm able to do it and I'm going to be doing more of it. And I'm probably going to have an announcement probably next week, um, about some that, cause I've got some stuff in the works, but I think it's taking some time away from my laddering. And when I am laddering, I'm kind of incentivized to try a bunch of different stuff because I feel like I need to be at least acquainted with everything that's at, that's, that's potentially going to be played, even if it's not great in a ladder environment. So I think that's kind of cost me some time this month. Whereas if I was just laddering for my own purposes, I might've been able to get there. I might not have, I don't know, but I definitely was feeling like I was pressing the last couple days because the time pressure was starting to get to me. 
Um, I, I, I started going back and forth. I was trying some even shaman. I actually tried a, um, an overload build. I was working with Ike's list and then I was talking to Appa from coin concede and we were kind of going back and forth on a couple of other builds. And I may go back to that in a little bit, but I found this deck that Andrew sent to me today that I am just head over heels in love with right now based on some, you know, lunch stoning and, and others and a couple games before work and whatnot. Like it's a small sample size, but it feels really, really good. Um, and, and it feels like it's one of those decks that can kind of take people by surprise. So Phenom, um, who, if you remember, I cast it in the Phoenix cup. He's also a, he's a, he's a professional player. He also is a data engineer for vicious syndicate. So he posted a list this morning that was an archetype that I've been really interested in since the nerfs, but haven't found a list that really worked well. And that is what I'm going to call for lack of a better term, breakfast paladin, because it has meat wagons and eggs in it. So that's what it was called in wild when there was kind of a similar list that was more of an aggressive list. This is much more of a mid range list, but it's relying on uh, a much like a death rattle hunter. It's relying on devil sore eggs and mechano eggs along with Meat Wagon to pull out the Mechano Eggs and the Devil Sore Eggs. And then it's just got a bunch of buff cards, like Blessing of Kings. It's got um, the the potion that gives a minion Divide Shield and draws you a card. It runs Double Spike Ridge Steed, which is still a really good um, card. And quite frankly, there's not a lot of silence in this meta right now. Like, you can just kind of go off on building up an egg against a Druid, and there's really not a whole lot they can do against you because they don't have any silence. And even if you're building up an egg that drops an 8-8 behind, they're not really wanting to naturalize it. So you can just kind of hit them in the face repeatedly. For I, I was I had built up an 8, I think 17 <laughs> Mikado egg with like, I just kept putting buffs on it. I put a buffs at Kings. I put a Spike Ridge Steed. I put another Spike Ridge Steed. And it, it got up to like 8 attack. They just kept hitting them in the face before they eventually decided that they had to deal with it. And at that point, it dropped two two sixes and an 8-8. <laughs> and I, I think I had a, a Kangar's Angless Army at that point. Um, so it, it can get kind of out of hand pretty quickly. And, I mean, it runs a quality consecration and Wild Pyromancer to be able to clear sticky boards. It runs Lanessa Sunsorrow, which is really good at a deck that runs Double Blessing of Kings and Double Spike Ridge Steed. And it, it just kind of puts out this value. And, and one of the things that Phenom said about Shaman even is that even Shaman only runs two hexes and you have more, more than two hex targets. Like the original list started to go was went more of a control route it was running uther the of the ebon blade it was running some bigger minions it was running um more life gain in in the form of a lay on hands and a couple of true silvers and this cuts all that just for more more big dinosaurs and it really seems to work well i'm really enjoying it it's a lot of fun 88 drag 88 dinosaurs are fun you know i did the math It, it checks out so I'm going to look to see what I can do with this early. Um, I don't know if this takes me to Legend. I, I don't know if it's... I mean, Phenom is a very smart player, and he can get to Legend with pretty much anything. I'm more of a mere mortal. But I really like the direction that this is going in, and it's kind of in my wheelhouse of the kind of deck that I tend to be successful with, which is a deck that is an off-meta deck in a class that really only goes one way, so you can kind of get some additional win percentage points off of bad mulligan decisions. Um, so I, I will put a link to this in the show notes. It is a lot of fun. I wouldn't necessarily craft stuff for it. Um, you, you do really need a Kangaroo's Endless Army for it. You might need, you, you need the cubes and the meat wagons. Those are pretty much 
necessary. You might be able to get away without Lanessa, and you might even be able to get away without Kangor's Endless Army. But if you have some of those cards, you want to um, you want to try to to play something fun. I would recommend this. I also spent a little bit of time playing around with Duin's Knuckles Secret Hunter and Wild. I actually crafted Knuckles for that, which runs Knuckles and Dire Frenzy, and then Flark's Boomzooka to run all the, the Knuckles into opponent's minions and then do the same amount of damage to the face. I didn't have much, as much success with that, but I might give that another try because it's fun. And, and, you know, Knuckles is fun and Boomzooka is a lot of fun. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. So there's a couple of lists that you can try. If you're feeling kind of bored and we do have at least another month of this meta, um, you know, those are, those are some things you can try out that might breathe a little bit of life into the game for you. All right, so like I said, I want to talk about, and this is kind of tradition on the eve or right after the announcement of a new set, is to co- go back and look at uh, some cards that I got wrong, or sometimes some cards I got right. And I've got a few that I got right also that a lot of people got wrong. Because, you know, I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty hard on myself when it comes to this stuff, and, and rightfully so, because I, I want to get better at it, and I want to make sure that I'm not making the same mistake twice. But I also do want to, you know, tap, pat myself on the back, as it were, when I get something right that a lot of people were missing, because I feel like I can come off as kind of argumentative sometimes when I'm, I'm digging in my heels. And, you know, I do, I do think this stuff through. And, and so sometimes I do want to kind of congratulate myself when I do get stuff right. And I, I want to start with one of those. I want to start with Luna's Pocket Galaxy. And Luna's Pocket Galaxy was a card that I was not... I was hedging on, but I was not very big on. And the reason that I was not very big on it is because, you know, when you're looking at a card that has a very powerful effect, you generally need to look at what it's going to ask of you and what is going to have to happen in order for it to work out well. And, you know, when they, when they announced this card, they had the, the amazing reveal with, like, the live-action Hearthstone players that played, one of them played Luna's Pocket Galaxy, and then they drew Maligos, and then they drew Archmage Antonitis, and they were throwing fireballs at the opponent's face, and it was beautiful, and it was amazing, and oh my god, this card's going to be broken. And that's all well and good, and that happens, right? Like, uh, the first week that I was casting, I casted it into the wild match where... Um, one of the players, I think it was Danny Donuts, um, had, or Bananaramic, I think it might have been Bananaramic, I'm not sure, had a Reno Mage that had Luna's Pocket Galaxy in it, and they got it on curve, and then they proceeded to get Maligos and get Antonitis and get a whole bunch of other stuff and, and used it to full effect. That's, that's the, that's the exception, not the rule. And, and my thought process was, and it continues to be, because I got this in Golden and I ended up trying it a lot, that seven mana is a lot. And it's a lot for two reasons. Um, one is that you need to draw about a third of your deck before you can use this, and Luna's Pocket Galaxy only affects cards in your deck. So anything that you've drawn, so you can't build a Freeze Mage around this, right? Like, you can't, unless you're running stuff like Baleful Banker, which is even slower... To, to reshuffle cards into your deck, you can't say build around an Archmage Antonitis and expect you're going to get it for one mana and then be able to get, uh, you know, a couple of Sorcerer's Apprentices on the board and, and duplicate them and 
you can't do that without having a backup plan. If you have a backup plan, then you may as well just, you know, kind of go with that as your primary plan anyway, because you're going to draw a third of your cards before you can play Luna's Pocket Galaxy, even if you draw it in your opening hand. And it's worse if you don't draw it in the first X number of turns, because then you're drawing more cards out of your deck while you're waiting for it to show up. So you're relying on this, A, being a legendary that you need to get in the top half of your deck effectively. And you need to rely on anything that's a legendary that you're relying on not being in the top half of your deck, so you can discount with it. And there's also the, the, the less of an issue, but still a significant issue, that 7 mana is a lot for a card that effectively does nothing to the board state. So I was playing this in, in a couple of different forms. I was trying it in a big spell mage. I was trying it in an elemental mage. I, any list that had this, because I, again, I got it in golden, I was trying it to try to see if I could make it work. And what would happen is that you get to turn seven and you have a really awful choice to make because typically your opponent would have a board that you'd want to answer, but you also know that the clock's ticking on Pocket Galaxy because the, every turn that you hold in your hand and don't play it, the worse it gets, but it, you know it's not going to help you and you're going to be taking a boatload of damage. So what do you do? Well, you answer the board and then Pocket Galaxy gets weaker. And then if you get to the point where you actually can Pocket Galaxy, it's gotten significantly less value. And you've, you know, you've also been take you know been getting away from your game plan but if you play it then you're just taking that much damage you may not live to draw the cards that you need anyway so that was why i was down on luna's pocket galaxy i turned out to be right it, it got cut pretty quickly it's fine to get off of a primordial glyph but typically most of the decks are not running it and they're not running it because it's just too inconsistent to rely on and when you do get it it just doesn't do anything for you so you know that's kind of it's important to look at cards that don't affect the board immediately and cards that rely on your deck on, on stuff being in your deck and look at the mana cost because that is going to make a big a big impact on how useful it's going to be the, the bigger the mana cost on a card like that that affects cards in your deck the the less value it's going to get which is why calisteth is so good right because you're paying two mana for a two two and then right off the bat you're discounting like 20 20 to 25 cards in your deck Whereas, I mean, you, sometimes not because you draw it later, but whereas if it was seven mana, then it would be discounting considerably less and it wouldn't be as good of a card. So cards that affect your deck um, and that cards that need to be in your deck are more valuable the less time it takes for them to set up. And a mana cost is a big component of that. Meanwhile, there are two cards that I missed the boat on really big time. And that was both Juicy Psych Melon and Dream Petal Florist. Now, I was down on Druid. I guess I wasn't down on Druid. I was just trying to be the voice of reason on Druid when we were recording. Because I think a lot of people were, were, were really upset about the Druid cards in general. And were looking at things like Dendrologist. And looking at things like Mulch Muncher. And like expecting that Druid was just going to be a powerhouse. And it was until the nerfs. But not because of most of the cards that were revealed for it. And I even got Biology Project wrong because I was trying to look at the good side of it and kind of be a little bit contrarian, which sometimes works out for me and sometimes doesn't. But I was really trying to calm people down on Juicy Psych Melon and on um, Dream Petal Flores because it felt to me like those were more ways for Druid to do things that it was already doing. And what I didn't... What I didn't take into account, especially in Wild, 
first of all, I didn't see the Starline thing coming, but even with Togwaggle, right, just being able to add consistency to those decks is worth enough, and, and there are enough, there's enough redundancy in those decks that I was convinced that Dirty Rat was just going to shut it down, and you can't, you just can't rely on Dirty Rat or Demonic Project as a, as a strong counter to that. I think that maybe Blizzard needs to put stronger counterplay to these Battlecry-based um, OTK combos than cards that will um, affect your opponent's hand at random. That might help a little bit to keep these things from getting out of control. But in any event, um, I didn't take into account the fact that, first of all, you'd be able to push more damage with Maligostru with a Dream Petal Florist. And even then, that you wouldn't have to rely on the Twig and it would give you a third way to get around um, in addition to Floop. It felt redundant. And it turned out that redundancy is actually something you need in a combo deck pretty, pretty much because it gives you a, a couple different ways to get to your win condition, even if the primary path is shut down by your opponent. So that was something that I really need to keep in mind for, for evaluating future combo decks that go into future combo, cards that go into future combo decks, rather, sorry, um, is that redundancy isn't necessarily a bad thing in those contexts because if you have redundancy, then that means that your combo goes off more consistently. And that was a piece that I never really considered when I was looking at those cards. Um, normally, the, and, and I, I do hold for some of the things that, that they printed for Druid, that I feel like the way, like what they were doing for Druid was printing cards that already did things similar to what other cards in the set already did, so that they could print cards for Druid without buffing Druid. But I think that giving consistency, to, because most of the decks were combo decks, actually ended up having the opposite effect that I thought it was going to, which I thought that it was going to basically give them more cards without giving them more cards, whereas it gave them more ways to do something that they already wanted to do, and that's what made something like a Togwaggle Druid and a Maligos Druid more, more effective in Standard and, and in Wild than it would have been otherwise, and I, I didn't take into account, I mean, I didn't, nobody saw really saw Starline or Druid Covenant in Wild. I think that my you know, my thought process for Juicy Psych Melon was specifically for Wild um, Togwaggle Druid or Maligos Druid, and I didn't take into account that Starliner Druid, which had enough redundancy just in the minions that get played out, would also be a thing. And for that deck, just drawing a whole bunch of cards, you, you can kind of dare your opponent to have the Dirty Rat. So that's kind of where I went wrong with those cards, but I think I was... I think I was, I was on the right track. I just wasn't thinking of it from the right perspective in terms of the kinds of decks that were being played and that they would slot into. So let's talk about Zarek's Cloning Gallery. Because this is the card, more than anything, that I was really happy that I got right. Um, and a lot of people were looking at this and just saying, this is crap, what does this do? Why do you want to summon a bunch of 1-1s out of your deck? It doesn't do anything. And I immediately looked at this and said, this is broken. And I don't know if it's really broken. It is a very powerful card. And it's, it's created a new archetype where one sort of existed before, but not really. And now it, it's created multiple archetypes that are revolving around resurrecting your minions. And being able to summon all the minions that are remaining in your deck to make your resurrect more, more valuable 
is something that Xerix Cloning Gallery gives those decks that they didn't have before. And this started with the whole Saviz, Asmodai, um, Resurrect Priest with all of the value minions, where you can sometimes just mind blast your opponent for 40. I was playing that deck and occasionally would kill my opponent from who was playing Quest Mage from thir- from 30 dam 30 health and 5 armor while they were stealth with Valera because I would be able to get to cloning gallery on 10 mana into double mind blast potentially with a coin out of a gar- out of a gargoyle. And but that's a that's a play that only Xerix cloning gallery really enables and that's the kind of the engine that helps you bridge to the late game in a deck like that. Now there have been some other takes on it. Zelay's had the damage Stegatron um, and Witchwood Grizzly combo topsy-turvy deck and there's a, another couple of, of takes on it that way. And there was even a spiteful priest at one point that was playing Zarek's Cloning Gallery that was relying on the quest to try to summon a bunch of death rattles and just finish up the quest if you hadn't gotten there by turn 9. And, and unlike Luna's Pocket Galaxy, you don't necessarily need Xerix Cloning Gallery, but it comes really handy when you get it, and you can also get it from Shadow Visions, which is different than in Mage. So, I think that this is, one of my general rules for evaluating cards is that the cards that look broken often aren't. The cards that look um, that look unassuming are often the ones that are actually broken, and the cards where you don't even really know what the hell to do with it, and you're looking at the card like, why would I ever want to do that? Those are the cards that you need to look at really, really closely because those are very often the, the game-breaking cards. And I think that Xerix's Cloning Gallery is fair, but at the end of the day, that ended up being one of a deck that single-handedly enabled a new archetype to exist because really you had most of the rest of the cards except for like Zilliax and really just Zilliax, I think. Um, you had most of the other cards already, but you didn't have a way to make it more consistent. So Xerix Cloning Gallery would make a resurrect deck, a resurrect based deck more consistent. And I have a feeling that we're going to get a couple of more cards in the next set, potentially one more Priest AoE that could take that resurrect priest from being kind of like a tier three deck to something that's actually meta relevant. I don't know, but I've got a hunch. Another card that I was a little bit unnecessarily hard on was Thunderhead. Now, this hasn't seen a lot of play, but I've been playing it a little bit in Even Shaman, as I said, over the last couple of days. And, and it's actually really impressed me with how good it is. And I think it's kind of a hidden secret right now. And, and this is a case of making sure that you don't let your own personal biases get in the way of you evaluating a card. Because I've been burned a lot by Overload adjacent cards in the past and I've kind of have you know gone too far the other way and the comment that I made was unless this card says unlock your mana crystals there's not really any sort of an overload effect that I care about and that's true to some extent but the fact that this exists in a, in a, a standard set with two zero cost cards that overload is actually really significant because one of, one of the things that I found is that you can pair this with Zap really easily and then you can actually play a 3-5 and remove a 4-health a minion for 4 mana. And 
you know, overloading one the following turn, which in an even deck doesn't matter. Because in an even deck, four mana and five mana are effectively the same thing anyway. So in that context, again, Thunderhead is a pretty good card. It's not really seeing his play as much because typically the Corpse Taker build is a little bit more popular. And I feel like the Thunderhead build is a little bit of a, um, you know, it's an un, it's an unexplored variant. But whenever I've played it, I've been really impressed, especially when you can land it on a board that has a Flame Tongue or a Direwolf Alpha. Like, those two 1-1s with Rush are actually really, really relevant, and they work alongside the kind of game plan that an even Shaman wants to have anyway. So I, I think, that, you know, the lesson from Thunderhead is just try to keep your balances and your biases in check as much as you can. Um, I mean, your biases can sometimes help you because sometimes your instincts are right as far as not wanting to get too excited about a card that seems pretty strong. But in this case, I should have trusted my brain and not my gut on Thunderhead a little bit more than I did. All right, so one more card that I was actually right about, and this one was a little bit less controversial, but I, I think you have to go back three months to think about what the thought process was before it was released, because this is one of those cards that's going to look obvious in retrospect, but it actually was pretty controversial at the time, and that was Cosmic Anomaly. And I think that everyone really recognized that Cosmic Anomaly was a powerful card, but the aggro mage that existed ran Life Drinker, and there was some thought that nothing was going to push Life Drinker out of that spot because it did a lot for the deck. And I was of the opinion, and I didn't even have the full picture, because I still thought that Shooting Star was kind of going to be a, no, uh, a nothing card, and it turned out that the combination of Cosmic Anomaly and Shooting Star was actually what made that card really good. But I was of the opinion that, you know, being able to stick to damage both gave you a lightning rod that your opponent was going to have to address in the same way that, um, that something like a Flame Waker would have been in the old school Tempo Mages. But also that it turns all of your spells into just powerhouses. Like, being able to Arcane Missiles for five is not insignificant. And being able to make your Shooting Star hit three across three minions is actually one of the most powerful plays you can have in that deck. So I think that I kind of, I, I was even a little bit underselling how critical that was, but the thought was that Life Drinker just fits that four slot and nothing's really going to push it out. And it turns out, no, once you start pairing it with some of the other cards that were available, Cosmic Anomaly was actually really good. And, and you know, it was a four drop that, even though there was Life Drinker, like, Mage still needed a 4-drop. Now, where that goes now that Manowar's been nerfed is a little bit up in the air, but I would imagine that we're going to start seeing... I would be shocked if we're not seeing Blizzard revealing what they think the direction of Mage is going to be next, because Mage is just completely in the dumpster right now without that. I mean, Big Spell Mage is a deck, but not much of one, and Aggro Mage is really not a deck. It's basically like Murloc Mage, which is it's a thing, but it's not really a thing. So I would expect that there's going to be some sort of like a spell-based control deck that Cosmic Anomaly can fit in because you can still stick it and pump up a Dragon's Fury or, or go on 10 mana, go um, Cosmic Anomaly into Blizzard and 
do four across the board. And even Shooting Star, if you're playing something that's not a big spell mage, can can actually be relevant. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if the elemental decks get one last hurrah, at least mage. Because, you know, we saw this with dragons right before uh, Drakenid Operative uh, rotated. Actually, not even Drakenid Operative. Right before the Blackrock Mountains Draken, dragons rotated out, they gave us Drakenid Operative because they wanted that archetype to have, like, one meta where it was legitimately good, even if the cards in it were overpowered. And I would expect that we're going to see something around some really big payoff for Elemental Mage. Because you do kind of have that with even Shaman and Kalamos now. And even Shaman's been a thing for, a while, for long enough that I think they could probably leave that as is. But you've never had that for Mage really outside of my failed attempts at Janky Mage. And I wouldn't be surprised if they give us a really powerful Elemental payoff. Uh, just to make that deck good for like three more months before things rotate out of standard. So let's wrap up with my two biggest misses of the set. And these were cards that I was just dead wrong on. And, and sometimes I'll look at these and be like hedging. But these were two cards that I just completely whiffed on. And I think that in both cases, I was too hung up on what was going to be involved to set up value. As opposed to thinking about what would happen if you managed to get past all that. So the first one is Super Collider. And I was convinced Super Collider was junk. I was convinced that all the other Warrior cards were good and and Super Collider was bad. And, and it was basically the complete opposite. And, and my thought process at the time was that um, in order to get this to work, you were going to need to get the board set up the way that you needed it to. Um, you needed to be able to run your face into a minion that had high attack and not die and then it needs to choose the minion that you want it to kill and then actually kill it and what i i made a lot of poor assumptions in this um in this analysis because you know first of all i was stuck on the idea that you're going to have to hit your face into the high attack minion where you can actually hit your face into the low attack and that, that's basically the, the value of it. And, and Warrior really does have a lot of tools between Rush Minions and, um, and things like Warpath and Reckless Flurry and, and Shield Slam to be able to set up a board where a Super Collider hit is going, to be, um, is going to be advantageous for you, which is something that I kind of dismissed when I was looking at it because I couldn't see the, the value of it. And also that I had basically written off Odd Warrior as an archetype which I should not have done quite quite yet. Because in, like, a normal Taunt Druid, Taunt Warrior, rather, which is kind of, I think, where my head was at, because that's what I was playing at the time, uh, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't really play Super Collider. It's too dangerous. But when you're getting four, damage, four health a turn, then it becomes much more reasonable to start using your face to clear minions. And what I also didn't realize is that Super Collider fits, fills a gap in Warrior's control toolkit that it needed to have in order to uh, be an effective control deck. And, and that is that typically with Warrior, the plan is that you stick like two minions on the board, two, two decent threats at the same time. Because Warrior is very good at single target removal with something like Shield Slam. And it's very good at AoE 
with something like Brawl or Reckless Flurry, but when it's two minions, it's generally not enough value for a Brawl. You're only going to get rid of one, but you're still going to leave another good minion on the board. And, you know, it, so it makes you, it makes them kind of remove your board inefficiently, and then you can play around a lot of their removal. <coughs> Excuse me. Super Collider removes that weakness, because now if you stick two minions on the board, even if they're high health, high attack, if you're not staggering them properly, and, and Warrior has ways to help stagger them, then you can just completely negate that whole setup. So that was the kind of piece that I didn't really recognize out of the value of Super Collider. And once I saw it in action, I was sold. But it was one of those things that you really needed to see it to understand how really powerful it was and how it made Warrior a more complete control class. This is like, you know, Priest being able to deal with four attack minions is Warrior being able to deal with two big threats on the board. So I, I just kind of got hung up in what would you need to set it up, and I was not thinking about Odd Warrior giving you enough armor to be able to um, to be able to push through and not die. And and the same thing was with Mechathune because my my thought was Mech, with Mechathune was like this is one of those like Uther of the Ebon Blade win conditions that yeah it'll happen it'll happen once in a while, but it needs so much setup and so many things to go right that you're never actually going to see it in practice. And it turns out, I mechathune multiple people on my first day of the set with Priest. Because what I didn't see is that there were multiple ways, and I think I, I think I knew about the Cataclysm, Blood Bloom, Mechathune, Galvanizer combo. Um, I didn't think about Druid with Naturalize quite so much, and, and I certainly didn't think about Reckless Experimenter, Coffin Crasher, Double Ticking Abomination, Mechathune. Like I, I'm, I think I'm a smart guy, but I'm not that smart. <laughs> I'm not that creative, and and I kind of discounted how easy it is to draw your deck now. I mean, with Gadgets and Auctioneer, with Hemet, with the the Warlock Hero Power, and and all the cards that draw you more cards. I kind of discounted how how fast you can draw your deck if drawing your deck is part of your win condition and not just like, a, you know, a, a push button in case of emergency type of plan. Now, generally these fall out of these fall out when aggro comes into the meta at all. And, and Mechathune has been kind of there for a few days and then out, but I, I didn't really think about how viable the, the whole strategy could be. And I think that it could be a little bit scarier when we have more cards, because those decks can be really frustrating to play against as a control class or any sort of a slower deck. If you're getting Psychic Screamed and, and removed, and then all of a sudden they hem it and they draw the rest of their deck and you're dead, you know, if you can't burst them down from high health, then those decks do have a place in the meta. And, I mean, you even had some people who were, you know, you have Hockey Boys who famously went full Mechathune in uh, HCT playoffs. So, I, I think my my challenge to myself when I see another card like that is to yes I need to call out that it's unlikely for that to go off but I think that we've seen enough wacky combos that it's worth thinking about what how it could go off if it does because what we've seen is that there's a for every like really difficult battle cry condition with the exception of something like Windshear Stormcaller 
um, which I'm still glad to be right about at least. Like, and, and in Winchester Stormcaller's case, the, the payoff was just not enough. Because an Alakir you could just put in your deck for a lot less work. Um, you know, it, it's worth thinking through, not just calling out, well, this is never going to happen, but let's say it did. What would have to happen and how likely is that? Because I think if I took that to the next level, I might have gotten to that place with Bekathun, at least in the terms of Warlock and maybe Druid. Um, but less so, I mean, I don't think I ever would have gotten to Mechathun Priest. But I might have been able to get to the point where, okay, this might be a viable deck, but this is probably not going to be Tier 1 and is going to need to match up against specific things, which is which is the case with Mechathun. So, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's something for me to take back that I am right to call out when it's not going to work, but I also need to then challenge myself to say, well, what if it does? And how likely would that be? And that's something I'll take forward into the next step. All right, so that's it for this week. Uh, we will have a new set announcement tomorrow as I'm recording this. We will know what the third set is going to be, and we'll know you know, when we expect to see more cards and maybe even a release date. So that is exciting because I'm excited to get new cards into the meta and see how Blizzard decides to tackle the some of the challenges that we've had, and, and also if they decide to do something a little bit more than just a new set. I'm kind of hoping they do. Like, I talked on the Common Before the Storm podcast that I, I think that, I mean, at minimum, we're going to hear about a new game director, and I think we we would I would like to hear about something else, like maybe a new mode beyond just solo content. So hopefully we'll get that. Um, if, even if not, I'm excited, because I'm always excited with a new set, and I get to theorycraft things. And then talk to Andrew for more for longer than is uh, reasonably I should <laughs> to to review cards. So that's that's an exciting uh, exciting time. I'm always excited about the, around when a new set comes out. I think we all are. I think we're ready. So as always, uh, you can find the links that I mentioned in the show notes at offcurve.com. You can also find the starter pack where I have links to all of the quote unquote evergreen shows. That um, if you're a newer listener, you can go back and listen to those. If you want to hear about specific strategy topics that may not be tied to a particular meta, go check those out. Those can be pretty helpful. I've, I've organized them by topic. Um, you can also follow the show's Twitter account at Off Curve for announcements when new episodes go live. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at Wicked Good, and that will give you all of that plus whatever uh, you know memes I'm throwing out, and also when I'm casting. Uh, tournaments, you'll hear about it there, and also any other extracurricular, uh, you know, content that I'm creating. Uh, you can uh, follow me on Twitch. I am WickedGoodFM on Twitch. I usually stream Sunday evenings, and I am going to try to do that this week. I didn't do that last weekend because of Calm Before the Storm, but I will try to do that this weekend um, so we can hang out and talk about new cards and stuff like that. And um, I also have a link to my YouTube channel where I've been putting some of the, the better games from... Uh, my streams, I've been putting them out on the YouTube channel if you want to catch those after the fact. Um, and, and please do leave a review. Oh, oh actually, before I get there, um, I'm also raising money for Extra Life for Boston Children's Hospital. I talked about it at length last week. Um, there's a link in the show notes for that, so please do donate if you have the if you have the means and if you are so inclined. It's a, it's a important charity for me because of, you know, all the, all the work that they've done with with my family, um, in, in, you know, in, in various neurological conditions, it's, um, it, it's, it's a cause that's near and dear to my heart. So if you can find it in your heart to donate 
um, please do. And if not, you know, no harm, no foul. It's, uh, I understand not everyone's always in a position to donate, but if you happen to be, uh, I would super appreciate it. Um, I also please, if you, if you can't donate, one way that you can help the show is by uh, leaving a review on iTunes and, uh, Belreal did that this, uh, this week, which I super appreciate. And he wrote a five-star review that says, I only play Hearthstone infrequently these days, but this is the only podcast about the game. I still make time to listen to every week. Steve Bill brings an, a knowledgeable and a knowledgeable, thoughtful and empathetic perspective that makes this a must listen for anyone who cares about Hearthstone. Highly recommended. And, and thank you. That's what I, I try for. And I appreciate the kind words and, you know, that's what I try to do. I'm trying to, you know, try to not dig too much in the salt mine. Like, you know, I, I, on one of my last podcasts, I got the title deserved or otherwise of salty Steve, because I was pretty down on a lot of things. And I'm trying to not do that when it comes to Hearthstone, because I think it is a very positive force in a lot of our lives, even if it's just a matter of bringing us to the community and the community's the, uh, you know, the positive force. Like, I think that's, you know, really important. And I think it's important to try not get too down on the game and try to keep perspective. So that's what I try to do. I'm not always successful, but I do what I can. So that's going to do it for me for this week. Um, you know, have fun watching BlizzCon. I have my virtual ticket, so I will be watching from home and catching up on the panels and stuff like that. Um, I'm sure we'll have some stuff to discuss there. And, you know, it's a new month. Good luck to you uh, if you are deciding to grind again. Good luck to you and your goals. If you're not, you know, if you're deciding to take a, a break from the game, no worries. That's we'll, I'll be here to keep you up to date. And, you know, if not, I'll be here when you get back. So, uh, you know, that it's, it's good to, whatever you can do to keep your relationship with the game healthy is, is a good thing. So, you know, and, and thank you for spending your time with me. I know you have a lot of places where you can put your podcast listening time. And I know I say this every week, but I really do mean it every week. Um, I really do appreciate you taking your time to spend with me while I'm driving home and um, talking about the things that are on my mind and hopefully helping both, all of us kind of understand the game a little bit better. So um, enjoy BlizzCon. I will talk to you soon. And until then, be good to each other. Have a good one. Bye.